This is a loving robot podcast, recounting tales from EverQuest directly from the people who worked on it. And now here's your host, Sean Lord. Um, so I'm Jonathan Carricker. Um, a lot of people know me by my um, avatar name, which was Pratton, uh, while I was at Sony Online slash Daybreak slash Darkpaw. Um, I started uh, working in the game industry officially in 2002 and um, started out as a tech support guy because it was something I had been doing at college and I, and I knew EverQuest really well and I saw they were hiring for tech guys. So I came down uh, shortly after I graduated from college um, and then applied from uh, in, internally to work on EverQuest. Um, and then for the next 18 years, I mostly worked on EQ in, in various capacities. I, I did um, some brief tours in other games. I worked on Free Realms and EQ2 and EQ Next. Um, but most of that uh, time was spent on EverQuest. And as of very recently, uh, I am a Quest content designer on World of Warcraft. Um, and I'm just learning the ropes. So, so yeah, we're, we're going to start at the beginning. And then at some point when we get, when we get to where you're at now, I have some, have some questions there as well. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of folks do. Um, uh, some of them, uh, uh, I'm going to already assume that uh, they're, they're, they're going to be the usual question. After only 18 years, why did you leave and stuff like that? Um, but we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll hit those later. And unless it's just a recurring theme in, in the, in the chat and um, then we can just, get it out of the way but so going going all the way to sort of the, the beginning like how did you how did you end up at sony uh so if we go back to the beginning beginning um i had been playing um muds all, all through college you know i found um i found that that muds were like it was like my my gaming game of choice it was this multiplayer experience it was it was high fantasy it was all text but it was still like it was incredible to like play with other people and group together and kill stuff and you know it was pvp and um it was it was a really cool experience then when everquest came out i was like holy cow this is like a mud but it's 3d this is this is incredible and this is way ahead of its time and i i could i could see while playing a mud that at some point that was going to be a 3d game but i didn't think it was that that close i thought it was like you know, 10 or 15 years off as opposed to being like five years later. Right. Uh, so I got, I got into EQ, um, played a lot of that. Um, after I graduated from college, um, I continued working at the university I was at and while, while playing a whole lot of EQ. Um, and, and it was, it was fine, but I, I really wanted to get into gaming and I really, I really had a lot of love for EQ, um, and a lot of time in EQ. Uh, so as soon as I saw that they were, they were hiring people, I was like, dude, I got to get my foot in the door. And so, mm-hmm. Um, I applied, came down, um, interviewed with Vic Wachter and uh, Tony Rado, and they're like, "Yeah, dude, you should totally, you should totally work with us." Uh, so then I was, I was a tech support guy, uh, like the old, um, the phone phone banks job where you pick up the phone and say, um, "Thank you for calling Sony Online Entertainment. I'm Jonathan Carricker. Can I get your name and phone number, please?" And, oh man, I remember, uh, I remember like the the little canned text because it was that way even as a GM, right? We had like our little yeah, high macro. Um, before you go further, and oh, what were you doing at the what were you doing at the college at the time? I was a computer science major. Mm-hmm. Um, I I nearly I nearly changed my major to uh, to music, but uh, I, I stuck with it. <laughs> stuck with the original plan. I got my comp sci degree, 
Um, and you know, any, any, any chance that I got, if, if I could, you know, weasel it into a school project, I was working on game design stuff and I was also doing that on the side. Uh, so I was, I was making games in flash and, um, you know, making games and doing level design as like class projects. Cool. Like my, uh, my senior project was, was a level design thing, which I'm surprised they let me get away with because it wasn't super computer science-y. It's more, it was more like CAD, but they're all right with it. Right. <laughs> And I think it was, it ended up being useful. In, in the beginning, um, when you're looking at getting your foot in the door, um, did you think that that level design, like that style of work was going to be what you're going to be doing or? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I had a, a completely upside down view of like what a game designer's life was like. I, I assumed that like, if you were working on EverQuest, like you were going to be an artist and you were going to be a programmer and you were going to be a designer and I, I just assumed that like everyone did everything. I didn't realize that once you, once you run a team, especially a big team, that everybody has their role. You know, like right. this this guy does animation, and this guy builds models, and this guy builds levels. And so it was, yeah, I was, uh, it was a real surprise to get on the team and realize that like people people just had a niche and they they just did this this one thing. Um, yeah, and honestly, that that kind of evolved right before you before you got on the team. Um, the, the, the degree to which there, there were niches or more specialized roles was actually relatively new. So, so um, yeah, coming back, you, so you, you got in, you, you had your, um, you had your sort of day job of answering the phones and, and I assume that, uh, when you got there, it was immediately, if you're anything like I was like looking around going, okay, my foot is now in the door along with the rest of me what what's the next door that i put my foot through right like <laughs> was that the case? Uh, i guess i guess what like getting my getting my toe in the door was like doing um beta testing so when pop came out or pop was still in development um i got into the, the beta and uh was beta testing and i remember raid testing i think sarin with you um and, and some of the other events in planet torment mm-hmm. it was it was planet torment right yeah yeah remember that correctly okay yep <laughs> and uh it wasn't. It wasn't very long after. It was maybe six months after I was there that I saw they were hiring apprentices for EverQuest, mm-hmm. um, and you had to submit a, a zone design doc or a quest design. Um, so I, I worked. I, I worked all night on that for like a month, and um, which is hard because I, I just wanted to play EverQuest. But instead of playing EQ, my guildmates were like, "Where are you rating?" I'm like, "Oh, dude, I could have worked on this this quest design doc. It's going to be great. <laughs> I got to get into the gaming industry." Yeah. Um, so then. Um, I interviewed with the, the team, which was intense because it was like every designer on EverQuest at the time in a room, like all sitting around rapid firing questions, bang, 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 bang. <laughs> you know? it was, heart was beating so fast. I'm trying not to, not to panic too hard. Um, it, it's a, a bunch, moment. a bunch of people on the team were imposing at that time, which <laughs> I want to, uh, I want, to, I want to get to it at some point, but yeah. Okay. That sounds interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one, right? Because you're like, I've, I've just spent like a month hoping, hoping for this opportunity. Don't want to mess it up. And this, this may be my one shot to like get on a team. Yeah. It, yeah I did feel like that. I was like, I'm not going to throw away my shot. I want to get onto this team. I want to work on a game. I want to get in the gaming industry. I love EverQuest. I got to do this. So, um, so I really, I really put together, I think a, a, a cool zone design idea complete with like a full 3d or not 3d full, full 2d color, color map and, and a bunch of quest ideas and the story for the zone and the main antagonist. 
So, um, Frank just asked, what was the design doc on? Do you remember? Um, yeah, I think, I, I think I wrote, a, a, a zone design doc about, uh, an area where there was, um, um, a really powerful gnome, but he felt like nobody took him seriously. And so then he like, um, killed off everybody in the town. And, uh, what, what you showed up in afterwards was like this, this destroyed village where he, he was in charge, but he was an illusionist. So some things were real and some weren't, and you were trying to like, you know, puzzle, puzzle through what happened. And if this is, this obviously is not something that went live. Um, this was just me, you know, me jamming on an idea and, and, trying to show that I could, I could do something game designing for the team. That sounds like something we would have loved. Did we love it? Uh, I, I hope so. Um, I don't know. I, mean, I don't think I got a whole lot of apparently. feedback on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to see if I can find it. And I know a, a ton of people applied at that time. So you probably were overwhelmed. Um, ended up being four, four apprentices got brought on um, of the, however many people who applied. It was um, Carly Toll mm-hmm. and me and Norm Freeman. Mm-hmm. And, um, Tom Blair. Yeah. Yeah. All, all came out at the same time. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah which is, it, it's weird. It's crazy. I, I didn't remember like Carly and like all of you at the same time. I remember like more individually for some reason, but it makes sense that it was during that period. Yeah. Like we were downstairs. So it was, it was kind of weird. Like, um, it really had like a full house. Like people were packed in multiple people to an office um, there were really small cubicles up there and everybody was like, you know, kind of shoulder to shoulder. So when the apprentices came on, we were downstairs in the, in the dark. <laughs> like if you, if you came into the the building that would have been building two, you'd come in downstairs and turn left. And there was a room down there and we were all kind of sitting around in the dark working together. Um, we weren't, we weren't really like mingling with the, with the design team for, for a couple months really. Yeah. Until there was space for us upstairs. That, I mean, honestly, that was the same experience I had. Um, yeah, it was the same room. It was the same. <laughs> I don't think it was as dark for some reason. Um, yeah, maybe, we, maybe you should have turned the lights on. I, I don't know. We just kind of like went with the flow. So if the lights were off, we probably were like, Oh, wait. yeah, <laughs> I guess this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So interview process, um, you, you said that there was some intimidating, personalities or what was it do you want to are you so, saving that or oh no no so like um it was it was really not what I was, what I was expecting when I when I got on the team and for like the first I don't know six months after we had um Rich Waters mm-hmm. who's like six foot five three hundred pounds at least it was um five. yeah he's a giant of a guy that was uh Robert Fister yeah who was probably six, six foot four six foot eight yeah he was <laughs> <huge>. pounds <laughs> <laughs> there was norm who was probably six foot three 250 pounds um chris ko ended up joining and that guy's a giant he's yeah. he's like uh he's like hagrid uh who, who else bill, bill james was a, a giant guy there was just like a whole bunch of a whole bunch of people on the team who were like <laughs> un, unusually like large guys um, even, even people like, uh, like Krause, even though he wasn't like, like huge, he was like six foot four. Um, Ian Noble was six foot four. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's like all, like all the, all the tall people in the gaming industry, all the big people ended up working on EQ for some reason. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm north of, of six foot and over 200 pounds. And I felt small in a lot of those situations around these like giant people. <laughs> 
<laughs> question yeah. just came in from scorn is this a basketball team or a development team <laughs> it was not as agile as a basketball team these were all very big big dudes you know there was a um there was a day where there was a really big earthquake that shook the shook the building just bang, 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 everything's shaking but uh several people thought it was robert fister tromping around because he would do that he would like you know, stomp, 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 stomp. And we're on the second floor and everything would shake. And you'd be like, what the hell? Well, people really could, could not distinguish between an actual earthquake and the, and the producer tromping around in the hallway. And, um, and there was the, uh, the wrestling matches too. Like, yeah, and, I was uh, about to Craig say, would go at it. So I, uh, <laughs> they would like, like get each other in headlocks and like, and like Craig was an athletic guy and he was a big guy, but he, he was, you know, again, like tiny compared to Fister. And then they'd be out there going at it, pushing each other, knocking each other into cubicle, you know, barriers. Yeah. I, I was about to say, I remember one of the, the earthquakes is when uh, Fister tackled me into one of the walls of the cube farm. And you could see cubicles like ripple and move all the way across the entire cube farm before I somehow oh, got him through the doorway of his office and was able to take him down onto his couch, which promptly broke. Like we heard it break. <laughs> And so we had to quickly time out and just be like, was that ribs or just, just broken couch? Perfect. That's amazing. Oh, dude. It was, good time. I, it was, it was a crazy time. I, I can't believe we, yeah. I can't believe we always all survived that time. Oh, I can't. And it was, it was, we were, we were just, you know, just kids, you know, like it was the wild west of the gaming industry. And we were trying to figure out what the hell we were doing and what, what an MMO was going to look like. Yeah. And so then I think it's, it's interesting because um, as we work through like the transition of you onto the team about the same time that we were transitioning in scripting. So speaking yeah, of true. what an MMO would look like, right? Like um, it was that period when you were coming onto the team and, and um, several others. And it was like the kind of the next generation of folk really. Um because we came in as the crew that kind of took over in Luckland, post-Luckland. And then as you and other folks came in and we had scripting emerging, the content really started to change a bit as well, like during that period, especially the raids and stuff. Like, what do you remember from like the transition and in, in, in kind of those experimental days? Yeah, uh, that was, I think scripting was used in pop, but at that point it was still pretty rudimentary and the team was still kind of getting a handle on how to use it, you know? Um, nothing had really been codified. You could, you could, you could tell by people like tinkering with scripts in, in pop, like, like people didn't, didn't have any sort of standard and they were kind of just trying to like, uh, make things just, just get it, get it to work. And there wasn't a lot of documentation. There was almost no comments in these scripts. Of course um, not. Yeah, of course not. Um, and and it was just kind of coming off that invisible shout system. And, and there was some stuff in in pop that was clearly a hybrid, where they were they were using the invisible shouts as well as invisible men as well as um, the scripts and, and and cobbling stuff together. Uh, it, it took it took a lot of years for us to kind of find our footing and and, and standardize stuff and decide like, okay, we're this is this is how a raid is going to start. This is how it's going to end. This is how it's going to clean up. And we're going to, we're going to standardize this in a way where you, you know, like if you want to start up a raid, you look for like this format for the name and it's going to do these things and it's going to do them cleanly. 
And if, if you, you know, if, if you fail a raid, it's going to run cleanup and then it's going to pause and it's going to run startup. Cause when we didn't have that, like, like stuff would break all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I think, um, depths of dark hollow was when we really like sat down and had that, like come to Jesus moment and be like, okay, we can't keep doing this. <laughs> like we keep having these bugs. We keep having these major bugs, you know, late, late in beta or even, even going live with raids that aren't resetting properly because, you know, like you're running reset in multiple places. You're running, you're running a reset here when you win and you're running it here when it resets and you're running it here because reasons. And if you need to change something, you have to change it in all three places. And if you forget to do that, or if you don't do it properly, then it's going to, it's going to break. So, uh, uh, and I had, again, I had just gotten my comp sci degree and my, but my language of choice in college was C and the EQ proprietary scripting language is based on C. So I was able to jump right in and start working on that, which was great. Um, it was something that I kind of innately un- understood and was able to, to wield and start messing with. And I still made, I still made stupid ass mistakes, <laughs> but at least it was, it was something that was familiar and, uh, something I, I kind of understood, yeah. you know, the, the logic and was able to start doing stuff. Um, one of the first things I did on the team was I took the hollow shade more war, which was architected using like 167 invisible men and all the invisible shouts and a couple of different like sub zones. And it, it never, it never really worked properly. And I don't, I don't know that it could work in um, using, using invisible shouts, but it was something that was, it was doable with scripts. Right. Uh, so I had to puzzle out like what all these shouts are doing and what all these invisible mans were doing and what all these dialogues are doing. And it, that is, that stuff is so terrible to, to try to troubleshoot. And, and it's, it's almost unmaintainable. There's, there's some, some zones where there's so many NPCs shouting things at each other and you don't know why and what it's supposed to mean. And this guy shouts, this guy hears it. He spawns an invisible man. That invisible man has a timer. When that timer is up, that guy despawns. He says something. This guy hears it. And it's just like, ah, oh. none of that stuff is in the same place. A lot of it is like scattered around the database. It's not, it's not contiguous. And so you don't realize like this, this shout or this dialogue or this, this NPC, which is integral to the way this works is like over here in the DB. Yeah. You didn't see him because his his name and his ID was was nothing like the rest of the guys. And then that, that thinking, clearly was not one of my invisible men. Then <laughs> I'll just say for the record, and it could have been right. Like yeah, it could have been where like you you implemented it, and when you did it, it was contiguous. But then somebody else came in after and was like, oh, I, I got to add, you know, I got to add one more dialogue, and I can't add it before or after. So it's going to be plus one thousand, and I'm going to name it differently, and it works. But when it breaks, somebody's going to have like. A, a, a fun time figuring this out. Yeah. There was, there was no, I, I don't think when we were implementing any of that, we, we even thought about the fact that there would be somebody coming after us, right? Like there was no, <laughs> like it was just sort of like make shit in the moment and go. And then I hope yeah. for the best, I guess. Um, <laughs> just real quick. Hey, Kevin. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Folks, um, I'm grabbing questions um, and saving them, and so we'll get back to some of the questions. Um, if you um, if you wait for a bit, we'll definitely uh, hit certain points where we can hit them. Um, and then over time, if if I just don't ask, feel free to ask again in chat, and I'll try to keep an eye. All right. Yeah, a lot of that a lot of that original stuff has been rewritten. Like um, uh, this may be getting ahead of stuff, but like for progression servers. Um, these, these old expansions are becoming current content again. So people get yeah. to pop and they're like, Oh my God, these, uh, these events in plane of earth don't reset properly. And they probably never did. And, um, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal once, you know, that's old content and, you know, nobody really cares about that. And there's nothing from it. That's like 
super important to progression or the game. But like once it's correct content again, that, that mattered. And we're like, Oh dude, let's look into this and find out what's going on. Oh no, we got to rewrite it. So (laughs) a lot of, a lot of stuff in pop got rewritten. Probably all of it should be rewritten for, you know, purposes of maintainability and consistency. And, um, but yeah, this, this, it's only so many hours in a day. I just like the team got a whole lot better at using the scripting system over time. We got a lot more functions and functionality out of it. Um, and, uh, it was, it was a, it was a really interesting period for me. Um, just because we got scripting and like the only way I knew how to make stuff was like, crazy invisible men and shouts and just duct tape and chicken wire and, you know, trying to like, I understood the logic and then I understood how that logic sort of met our DB. And then when scripting came in, I was like, Oh shit, I don't know how to script. And so it was like, I'd have to go to you and other people and just be like, all right, so I need the following things to happen. Can someone take like, five minutes and actually, you know, write this up in a, in a script that I can manipulate. Otherwise I'm going to spend four hours here just sort of staring at a wall. Um, and after that, it was kind of like, um, that was kind of the last of the real sort of hands-on work I did was, was basically, I think like planes, honestly, from that point forward, I was just kind of doing lead middle management, leading meetings kind of stuff. So did content really just sort of, I mean, it's interesting how, how much was that sort of original style of content creation or carried on after those expansions, like legacy of Akesha, I think was maybe the last thing I, I touched, touched. Yes. As far as like, uh, um, for how long after that was legacy content sort of built in that old way or, yeah, yeah like, um, yeah, not, not, yeah, from from probably Gates on, um, we had, you know, we were, we were doing so much with dialogues that involved scripting that you you had to know scripting in order to do like any any sort of design stuff. You know, if you're talking to a guy that gives you a quest, you're talking to a guy that sends you into a DZ, or you talk to a guy to spawn some sort of event that that happens right there, like all that stuff is scripted. Um, it, it maybe shouldn't be. It maybe should should there should be some like way to you know, cause things to happen with the dialogue that are mm-hmm. data driven and don't, don't require you to like open up the script editor and, 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 and check for criteria and make things happen. But yeah, like, like kind of, yeah, kind of from that point on anything design related, especially anything where it was like, you talk to a guy and a thing happens at, at, at scripting time. Right. Yeah. And I've, I, I'm just so like old school that, um, over the years when I looked at new tools and looked at, um, and we discuss it uh, for me, it was always so easy to just go in the database and kind of know what table something probably originated in logically and do a query yeah. and find a bug. I could find bugs in a heartbeat. And since then I've seen where everything's scripted. It's like weird shit can happen all over the place. And it, and I don't know. What did you find? Did you see like, was it problematic over time or? It was, yeah. And we, we got better ab- about ferreting out some of those things later. In fact, Chris, Chris Black, who you should have on the show at some point, um, put in, put in an automated process who, that would, uh, look through all the scripts in the DB and see if any of them wouldn't compile. And then we'd get back a report and like these, these script, six scripts aren't compiling. You should look into them. And then sometimes it was like a test script. We don't care. 
Uh, sometimes it's like somebody just, you know, tinkering around and, and they're not, they're not done with it maybe. And, but sometimes it was like a, a dude opened the script editor, accidentally typed a letter in a script, didn't realize it and then clicked off that script or saved it. And so then, you know, some, some legacy content just unexpectedly broke, uh, being able to like identify that, find it, fix it and, and uh, catch that before it goes live was, uh, was great. Yeah. Um, what was what was the original question? I, I may I th- have gone inside. I think you covered it because um, I, I was honestly like I've, I've had like this hobby horse for a long time of um, whenever I was looking at new tools or we're discussing design tools, um, I tend to try to find ways to have things just be systematized and data driven more than just yeah. reform scripts for all sorts of shit. Where I'm like, have an encounter table and an NPC table, please. Like, why is why is yeah. this 200 scripts? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Whenever possible, um, design should be using design data to make stuff happen. It should, it should only be when, when the tables can't accomplish whatever you need to accomplish. And it's, and it's important that you rely on the scripting system because it's, it's incredibly powerful, but it's also incredibly dangerous. You know, you can do stuff in, in complicated ways that even you won't be able to puzzle out when you come back and look at it six months later. And you're like, what, what was I trying to do? You know, I've got this inner inner loop that's looping over this three times and doing, ah, oh, what was I thinking? And, you know, if you, the, the, the more complicated you, you make something in a script, the more complicated it is to troubleshoot. So um, there was, there was something that Ed Harden uh, shared with us at some point. It's like, figure like, like whatever, whatever level of, you know, skill you're using for implementation for, for making a script, it's going to be a level above that to troubleshoot it. And if you're, if you're implementing something that's so complex, it's kind of at the edge of your, your skill, skill level. Yeah. You're not going to be able to effectively, uh, maintain that and, and figure out why it's not working because it's going to be even harder. Makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. And that was the fear. That was even the fear before we got scripting. It, there was a lot of yeah. resistance at Sony to giving designers scripting in the first place. Even I could have sworn even med chimed in and was like, you know, and it's funny cause yeah. I, the, the thought was like, you already saw what they did with invisible men and shit. Like you want to give these guys scripting as well. There's no telling what could go on. Nope. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard to kind of uh, formulaically find problems with scripting. Like if, if there's a problem with data, you can probably um, SQL query that and, yes. and identify it. You know, um, there's, there's going to be some complex or not complex series of queries you can run and be like, this guy's got a spell that he can't cast because he doesn't have enough mana mm-hmm. and, and this all checks out. So that's a problem. But like if there's something going wrong um, in a script, that can, that can be difficult or impossible to identify until you, you know it's a problem and you, you, you've kind of narrowed it down to like the script is doing something bad <laughs> and right. you're having to go through it. And, and some of those, especially, especially some of the early stuff, uh, those, those things are hundreds or thousands of lines long um, and they shouldn't be, but they are. <laughs> right. So it's you funny. Know? I think it was like it was like a point of pride initially with the designers. Like I made this script and it's a thousand lines long. And you're like, but you probably could have gotten that down to 200 if you really thought about the logic. No, um, no, we were paying per line. You know, uh, okay, well, that, that, yeah. that could have been why. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> let's see. Um, Rogan just said, I try to take scripting stuff that was repeated a lot on P99 and bundle it into one function from the actual code, made it a lot more efficient. And then ask yeah. um, Prathen, or is it Prathen? Well, I keep saying Prathen. Uh, <laughs> okay, so. It's either one, like. Yeah. Um, have you guys ever looked at P99 EQMU script to see how they compare to live EQ? I haven't. And honestly, I probably wouldn't know what I was looking at, but 
Johnson, you probably would. I, I haven't. No, I, I don't know if that stuff is like easily accessible. If there's a place where we could look at it for for a while, like the P99 stuff was all like um, blacklisted, and you couldn't get to it from uh, from SOE. <laughs> I, I don't think it's that way anymore. But um, so, yeah, it, it would it would be interesting to to compare and contrast. Um, yeah, I, I'm betting that P99 has done things with more reusability and more simplicity. It's just it's just a you know if, if you have you know, 15 different designers and you thin them all off on their own to do something with, with not a whole lot of oversight, uh, you're going to get 15 different styles of implementation. Mm -hmm. Some are going to be more complicated. Some are going to be more, more buggy and some are going to be more maintainable or less. And you just get a, a really, really kind of varied implementation, uh, from that. Yeah. And that that may have been part of the problem, right? Like we just, uh, you know, like adding adding more people should have probably added more uh, more review, you know, a lot a lot a lot more like close careful peer review. But it would it would just mean we would implement more stuff. Um, we wouldn't we wouldn't use that time to um, uh, like go back and code review and yeah yeah we we weren't using those people to kind of help each other out and kind of. Um, carefully comb over each other's work. It was just like, we got a new guy. He's going to do one, one more person's worth of stuff. Good. Right. So, I mean, part of that, at least while I was there, um, was just pace. Like, I mean, we were cranking, we were working yeah. on the next expansion almost. Well, at, at one point I thought we started getting better about starting the design of the next expansion while wrapping up the current expansion. But, so did that stay sort of the, the, the cadence for you guys? Yeah, it was better when it was annual expansions and it wasn't every, every six ish months. There was, there was less like freaking out and crunching. Uh, but you would still have that point in the cycle where like everybody was busy, you know, design is slammed. You've got so much to do. You're like, I'm never going to get this done. And, and then, uh, just, just when it's like at its worst art would tap, you know, design on the shoulder and be like, we need design docs for the next expansion. You have to, we need that now. We're, we're blocked. You're like, who knew? Yeah. <laughs> somebody, somebody or somebody's has to stop what they're doing for, you know, two to four weeks to come up with the next expansion, right? You know, zone design docs and, and get that ball rolling. Yeah. And it's, it's those same people who um, are, are doing the next expansion's design that are doing the current expansion's implementation. And time is always short and they're always, you know, there's always a million things that need to get done. Um, there's always a, a giant pile of design issues from previous expansions that are in, you know, various states of conflagration that need to be looked at. And the, so the, the cadence changed eventually, um, during that, during that sort of period where like rich and scott and i and others were kind of pulled off to go to eq2 do you do you remember like that period of time um because that was still during the like every six months i thought absolutely yeah um yeah we, we lost a ton of experienced people you know we lost you and and rich and uh and hartsman um i think we ended up losing uh jake Jake slash Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> never know. Uh, and, and it was hard. We had, we had a lot of like pretty, pretty junior guys who were, were making the game at that point. Um, and I, I think if, if we'd had some more experienced people around, it would have saved us from ourselves and making some of the mistakes that we made in, in gates that, that really bit us. Um, 
uh, especially like like the team the team was just so so gung ho about making it hard, and I think that was that was a mistake that that would that would have been tempered by some experience having somebody on the team who really um, could have could have you know pump the brakes on that and be like okay guys I, I know the players are asking for a challenge but that doesn't mean they want to get kicked in the shins you know <laughs> um, it's the interesting one because um, people. People sort of cite Gates in two different periods. It seems like um, people talk about Gates as Gates when it first came out, but then reflect back on Gates with kind of a different outlook and enjoy how hard it was. Um, yeah, I don't know yeah. if you followed that or, or if that's something you're aware yeah. of. Yeah, uh, I feel like we could write a book on Gates of Discord, uh, just that that expansion alone. Um, it was, it was a whole lot of really, really neat ideas, um, and a whole lot of questionable implementation. You know, part of it was, was, it was a lot of, uh, new, new people who, you know, were not, not just like, um, not just like struggling with being, you know, a, a new designer, but struggling with the implementation. So you, you were spending a lot of time just banging your head against the wall, trying to get something to work again, using the scripting system, which is new. You're not super familiar with it. You're doing stuff that's complicated, you want to you want to make this interesting and special and magical, but also really hard. Uh, you know, people were like throwing everything to the wall to see what would what would stick, and a lot of it didn't stick and needed to be ripped out. So, um, and and we had um, a really aggressive uh, feature set for that expansion, right? Like there was leadership AAs, uh, more AAs in general, um, a new collision system, a new pathing system, a new graphics engine. That's right. Um, we had to redo all the boats in the game. I, I think I think Jason Mash just like stared at boats and P points for for three months trying to get that working. Um, uh, what and and just a, a lot of really complicated content that that we were doing right. in, in ways that had never been done before and um, and and you know in, in systems that we didn't didn't quite understand. And the the beta was not super helpful. Like the things were still so unstable. Um, due to the new graphics engine that we couldn't really test things effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, people would like uh, be in, in a water volume and like hop out of that water volume, but it would shoot them flying up into the air a thousand feet and they would come crashing down and die. Um, there was a, a teleport point on the, the Queen of Thorns in Abysmal Sea where you could teleport in and then this door would swing open and hit you and it would do the same thing. And then the, when the door would collide with the player, it would send them shooting up into the air as high as they could go. And they would come crashing down and die from the falling damage. Um, and raid testing, you know, we had um, people would fall through the world. People would get hung up on uh, on little rocks on the ground and be unable to move. The zone was crashing. <laughs> it's like like no no iteration, no good iteration, and no testing yeah. really got done during beta because it was it was too um, unstable of, a, of an environment to test on. Uh, so yeah, there was there was too much going on uh, to. to Way, and that's, way, way more that, than that's horrible for really like able to yeah i mean because you're, you're basically you're left blind right like it's it's like a because the deadline's not moving um yeah yeah it was, it was still going to ship when it was going to ship there was no way that date was going to move uh and yeah and, and it was i think we had we had a lot of cool ideas some of those ideas probably should have been left on the cutting room floor uh but uh yeah not 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 the time or really the experience to execute on them you know, by, by the deadline. So, but we went back later and a lot of that stuff got re reworked, rewritten, um, redone. And I think, 
you know, in, in, its, in its current state, it's, it's pretty interesting. There's, there's some fun raids, some really interesting events, um, some cool ideas with quests, some interesting characters, uh, some, some great music. I love the soundtracks in that expansion. And, uh, you know, if, if we had had more time, <laughs> I think it would have been a better expansion from the get-go. Um, yeah. And again, if, we, if we'd had some more experienced people, if you were rich had been there, I think you would have been able to steer that ship a, a, little, a little more and keep that on track. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I... I believe so. And and I think we kind of proved that to the sort of the management above us um, right after that. Right. Yeah. Because that was, it was the same sort of, it seemed like the same scenario going into omens initially yeah. and it was going to be the same thing. And then it was, yeah, it was going to be even worse. Like we were, yeah. we were buried with bugs from gates at that point. And uh, we had, you know, we, another another aggressive set of features we were going to do for omens, and it was it was not shaping out to be great. So um, it was it was a miracle that we got some more time. We got you back. We you know took took a step back and really looked at it and like, okay, how how can we actually make this fun and uh, make it work? And, it, it's such an awkward moment too, like coming back onto the team and then looking at everything that was like everybody's hyped on doing it too. That's that's the hard part, right? Because it's, we're going to do all this cool shit, and it's like, oh no, oh please no. <laughs> No, you're not. <laughs> Let's just start cutting shit and like redoing it. So, um, this is, yeah. And, and, uh, once those conversations were had though, it's the, you know, like, I, I think that folks recognize that one of the, one of the key ways of kind of having that time is really just being realistic and, and, and going, yeah. all right, you think you can do these three things? That means you might be do, able to do like one and a half, right? So let's already, yeah. you know, assume that. Um, yeah. Man, scope is, is such a super important lesson that you need to learn, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, it's just one of those, like my, my ego's writing those checks and my body can't cash moments. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, a couple, couple questions have popped in here while we're still in range of them. Um, that's funny. Um, Jidlins, Jidlins, I'll mess up the name sometimes. I'm sorry. Um, ask, could you dive into the reason behind the connection between fall damage and FPS and EQ? Oh, that predates me. I, predates I know me. exactly what he's talking about too. You know, the your, your hang time um, is directly tied into how much damage you take from that fall damage, and not not the distance you traveled. <laughs> so so your your latency will will affect how much damage you take when you when you hit the ground and i i, I think that's still in um i mean you you were there before i was i don't know if you have any exposure to that um the exposure that i had to things sort of melted out of my brain over the last like 15 18 years um i'm sure it's one of those things that just sort of made sense of code at the time um yeah yeah i was i was playing dungeons and dragons online when that was uh when that was new and uh, I jumped on top of a breakable, like a pot, and got got stuck in a falling, you know, state, and and was was stuck there until somebody broke the the pot, and then I fell, and it was the same thing. I, I fell, you know, I fell this far, I fell oh. a foot and a half, and I took max damage and was dead. So, um, I don't know if that's still a thing in DDO, but apparently other games have had that same problem. Dude, that's is ultimate realism. It was like slipping in the shower. <laughs> it's super dangerous. Um, another question came up. From Siren, what stuff did Prathen make in God? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I did Inktuta, which was uh, 
the raid that you got to off of, oh God, I'm going to have to equivoc, I think. And I worked on some of the stuff in um, Ukwa or Yukua, depending on how you, how you pronounce it. Um, and I worked on Rui, which was the, the zone that has the, the Colosseum in the middle. And so there was the Colosseum battles that would occur periodically. And there was a period, it was a, um, uh, what would you call it? A progressive event where you would fight against Colosseum bosses and, and improve this, uh, this item. I think it was a ring. There was a pause there. So I was like, all right. And, um, okay. Oh, and I did, I did the Craigview Queen. I did I put in a couple of, um, quest, small quests and quest items. Yeah. Oh. And how, oh, and how long have you been on the team at that point? Uh, that's a good question. So I came on the team in late 2002 and when did Gates launch? Let's do the math on that. You're looking it up. I was about to look it up. All right. You got it. Yeah. Launch. Looks like that was early 2004. So like I'd been on the team for all of 2003 and a little bit of 2002 and 2004. So like a little bit over a year. I probably started working on that content like seven months in, six or seven months into my time on the team. Right. <laughs> it's amazing. It's it's EverQuest has this history of like so much stuff was made by people over the years within their first like year, year and a half. And it's like it's pivotal stuff. It's great content. It's it's sort of the highest of the high end stuff and it's is Typically made by junior folks during those first five, six years. Yeah, I, I don't think that really happens anymore. I feel like if somebody joins EverQuest now, we, we expect that they're not going to do anything that complicated until they've been on the team for a couple of years. Um, like modern modern rain content is so complicated and requires such a uh, an in-depth understanding of the spell system and the scripting language um, and, and the game's tools in general. That, like you, you couldn't expect someone to do that six months in. That would be crazy. Yeah, but yeah, we we like to we like to throw people in the deep ends on EQ back in the day. <laughs> Welcome to EverQuest. Well, we didn't have a Start choice. Swimming. We didn't have a choice. Honestly, it's like we have <laughs> a limited number down. of people. Um, yeah. So perform, um, please, and <laughs> yeah, and yeah, don't please uh, don't destroy everything. Uh, another question came in was: Do you remember the first thing that you worked on in EQ? Uh, yeah, the very, very, very first thing I worked on was like the, um, the grob takeover. So, uh, we, we had the frog locks show up and they were going to take over the trolls city grob mm-hmm. and, and set up their own town. Um, and then the trolls got kicked out to Miriak. And so the apprentices, which was me and Norm and, um, Carly and, and Tom Blair, I think we're all working on that content. So we were populating, um, grob with frog locks and putting some quests in there and some dialogues and some cool stuff. Uh, we put the, the troll NPCs in, in Neriac and gave them a couple quests. I'm like, that, that seems so fun and cool at the time. I was like, Oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Like looking back on it now, I'm like, Oh, I should, I shouldn't have done that. This quest is so bad. Oh, no way. No way. <laughs> but, uh, at the, at the time it, it seems, it seemed amazing. Yeah. It's, but, it's, it's a weird one. Like, um, since I've been back playing on um, PLP and like then also going back playing on P99 and it's just like the more I run around and, and see stuff 
the more I'm just, uh, it's kind of endearing, right? So it's it, finding one of those old quests or seeing some of that content. It's just, I don't know. Maybe it's just nostalgia, but there's there's, there's a magic to it. Yeah, there was um, one of the one of the things I did on EverQuest shortly before I left was uh, we we found there was a quest you could do where you could purchase something from a vendor and you could hand it to a guy, and the value you got back on average from completing the quest was more than the cost of purchasing the items, and so you had an infinite money exploit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got I got into the SQL and then query 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 query. And I found all the quests in the game where you could buy all the items you needed to complete the quest from vendors, and you got more money out of it from completing the quest than you put into it. And several of those were from from that Grob Gukta revamp, oh. where where we were new designers. And oops, you know, it seemed like a good idea. You know, Let's see, go go get these, you know, snake eggs and give it to this guy. And he's like, hey, thanks. Here's some coin. But you could buy those, and it was cheaper to buy them than the reward. <laughs> oops. Yeah, I, but again, you, you you folks were brand new, and people yeah. weren't necessarily taking a lot of time to uh, check work or mentor yeah, beyond, yeah. like, please don't say anything on fire. So um, <laughs> kind of in that vein, I'm curious, um, what, in, uh, I know we haven't gone all the way up through, I mean, we still have, I think at this point, like another 15 years worth of EverQuest to talk about, but I, I'm curious, the question came in from Seahole. What were the toughest times working on EQ? Um, I'd say the toughest times were between Gates and Omens. Um, if I if I remember properly, we were doing a new tutorial at the time, and that was that was taking a ton of time from a bunch of people on the team, artists and programmers and designers, to get the tutorial working. Um, we were we were getting ready to do another really big expansion. And the um, the problems that were still looming from Gates of Discord were uh, were, were like going to be going to be a ton of work to dig into and fix. And so uh, we we'd already you know worked a ton of overtime getting Gates out the door. Um, we were looking at an impossible deadline for Omens, and we knew that we had to fix a bunch of stuff. So it was just like I. I want to say it, it, it may not may not have been, it, it felt like a year and a half of overtime of just scrambling and panicking and something was always on fire. Um, Actual timeline wise, I don't think it was, but I could, I, I don't think yeah, it, was, it was, but I could see it how was probably, it, it was probably more like, like nine months to, yeah. you know, a year of overtime, but it, it just, it, it felt like a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was, it was weird. Like on Dragons of Nora, things calmed down a lot. Um, we, we really were, were a lot more reasonable about what we were trying to do in that expansion and how many raids we were going to make and everything. And it felt weird to like go home on time and be like, well, I've done this raid and guess I've accomplished my goal for the day and I don't, I don't have to be here till midnight. This is weird. <laughs> did, did you run into, I, I had this weird experience on, on DC because we crunched a lot on TCUO and at one point, like I realized we we like sat down because um, um, my wife at the time was working there as well. Fanny and I both worked there. We were both crunching. Yeah. So we actually had like a day off, maybe two days off. And we're sitting there at like in the evening, not knowing what to do. And then like turned on cable and was like, oh, weird. Like there are shows 
It was like, and it may sound stupid, yeah. but it was like that feeling of like, oh shit, normal people are sitting watching TV at this time, not sitting, you know, eating dinner in the cafeteria, getting ready to go back and put in like another five hours. Yeah. Yeah. There's this weird, like, I, I want to call it like a postpartum depression after an expansion launch. Cause the, the couple of months leading up to an expansion launch, you're just every, every waking moment you're thinking about or working on the game, you're squashing bugs or tuning stuff. You're giving people feedback. It's just go, go, go. And then we would, we would often get like a, a week of comp time after the, you know, to cool off. And it, and it felt so weird to not, you know, to pause. It felt, it felt like you were sprinting and then suddenly you stopped and it, you know, you'd like, what am I supposed to be doing now? Um, should I be running? Should I be jogging? What's happening? It's, it's funny you mention that because when? we've talked about that. like, with three or four different guests. And I think usually I initiate it, but I'm glad you brought it up because yeah, it's like this launch depression that I would have. Yeah. And I can't, yeah, <laughs> I, it just feels like, yeah, it's like, because it, there's just, you're so focused and there's just such an creative energy going. And even yeah, if it's yeah, thought, I, <laughs> it feels it's good. like kind of your reality right yeah like you get you get used to that like amount of energy and excitement and input and and then once it's gone you feel like something's missing yeah and and oh gosh that like like when when beta was going going full speed it's it's insane how much like feedback you're getting like constantly emails and pms and and chats in in game and out of game and message board posts and people tapping you on the shoulder. It's like like you're just constantly buzzing with with input and you're trying to like do a million things at once. Yeah, and I think part of it's also then like the realization of oh man, and maybe this is just me, but there's kind of this weird sense of I'm making even if I don't feel like it's going to be world changing. It, there's still part of me that kind of feels like I'm I'm making something that uh, has the potential to be great, or I'm making something that I hope uh, people really enjoy, or like I don't know what I'm expecting, but what I realize right after it is ship. Well, okay, that was another expansion, I, or that was another product. I've got to start another one. Yeah, I've got to ramp up. I've got to be ready to do this again. And it's and none of these things are going to be like the last thing I do. And it's yeah, a weird, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it, it like, yeah, yeah. It feels like, like you, you pour your, your entire self, all this, you know, your, your whole creative well is poured into this product. And then once, once it's poured out, you're like, how do I, how do I refill this? Like, yeah. I, yeah. That's so, I don't know. I'm, I've got the feeling this topic's going to keep coming up. We keep digging into it and try to figure out what the hell is <laughs> yeah. I know, but just while, while people are listening, I just want to say it, it's, it is not sustainable and it's not healthy to, to live that, that lifestyle. And, and yeah. we, we did it, but I wouldn't recommend it. No. And um, if, you, so, if so you're many experiencing people, it in the U.S., come to Europe. You probably <laughs> won't have to deal with it. Nice. Yeah, I so, saw so many um, people uh, have their relationships fall apart, you know, because they weren't, they weren't home. You know, the partner's like, I never see you anymore. I haven't seen you for for six months I'm like oh yeah i'm working on this expansion it's so important I'm like what about our relationship yeah it, it, it happens a ton um yeah, yeah. notice i i said ex-wife as well right like it, yeah yeah 
So it's, it is a real thing. And then the health problems and everything else are legit. Um, so on the flip side, there is also what was, what, what were like your, your best memories? Like what were the best times? So you mentioned improvement, but does anything stand out? Uh, I really liked working on dread spire. Um, for that expansion, I was kind of like thrown at a zone and they're like, this is, this is the end zone. This is going to be your zone. You've got this entire six months to, to just do whatever you want with this zone, go at it and like, woohoo. And so I got to do all kinds of fun stuff. Um, I re- really spent a lot of time working on the population. I really spent a lot of time like refining the story and trying to figure out who these characters were going to be and why they would be there and what they would be doing and what their interconnections were. And, uh, Mayong was spoilers, spoiler alert. <laughs> Mayong was the final bad guy. And, uh, we, we kept that secret, uh, during the development of the expansion. As, uh, lore wise, like even, even like the vampires in Dreadspire didn't know that they were, um, underneath Mayong, like, misdirection and subterfuge and was, was his whole, his, his whole thing, right? Like even, even the people who worked for him didn't know who he was and they had this really complicated hierarchy. And so we got like a, like a, a lot of really interesting, I think characters and lore and events and, and, and the, the zone was really tight thematically. Um, and we put a lot of fun dialogues on guys that helped told the story. And um, Al, I worked on that with Alan Vancouver and he did some super neat stuff in the zone, like you would go into the dining room and click on the door and there would be a guy, the greeter who would announce you to the dining room and be like, our esteemed guest so-and-so is here. And there was this whole underlying thing where like you had been invited to Dreadspire and you were a guest, but you were also food and the people there wanted to eat you. <laughs> and so all the vampires and werewolves were kind of looking at you like you, you were a snack, but they were, you know, in, in certain places you were safe and there was an, an agreement that you wouldn't get eaten, but in other places you weren't. And if you went in there, you were in danger. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, I got I got to do all kinds of fun stuff in the in the raid zone for that zone. Uh, I had nine raids and five sub sub raids, and um, yeah, and I uh, did did some some really cool mechanics that maybe like the game wasn't ready for and the scripting system wasn't ready for, <laughs> but I did it anyway. <laughs> um, let's see the. There's a question that came in that I guess uh, along those lines, we'll jump ahead a little bit and, but come back. Um, I mean, that speaks to a certain level of like mastery within that tool set, within that environment. And so Frank asked very early um, uh, in, in the discussion tonight, how does it feel to go from super knowledgeable and entrenched in EQ systems to then be the new kid at Blizzard on WoW? <laughs> oh, yeah. So it, it's weird, right? Like they, they kind of have the same philosophy that EQ does now where like somebody's not going to really comprehend the tools for six months. It's going to take them that long to get to get up to speed. And so I've gone from being able to like implement stuff with my eyes closed and one arm tied behind my back mm-hmm. to being that guy who has to go into this channel and be like, hey, guys. I have a really stupid question again. How <laughs> do I do the blah, blah, blah? And they're like, oh, yeah, you got to go here, open the tool, you know, click on this thing. That's a bit mask. You got to set this to two and then it'll do what you want. But yeah, you just, you just have to learn all that stuff. And hopefully I'm not too old anymore. I can still learn a few new tricks. Well, it's, it's interesting you, you, you say that because I know you're not, but like <laughs> we, I, I have felt as like I matured in my career. 
it, it gets kind of weird. Like when you go into a new environment and it's like, all right, I've been working on games. So you worked on EQ for close to 20 years. You go into a new environment mm-hmm. and it's like, oh shit, I, I am kind of a newbie here. Like, can you, can you talk about that feeling a little bit more if that's cool? Like, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of surreal because um, there's, I've noticed there are more similarities than there are differences because they're in the same space. Um, they're, you know, um, high fantasy MMOs that have been out for, for decades now. So a lot of the philosophies are the same. A lot of like the, the ideas about how you implement content have kind of evolved in the same way and in parallel paths, you know, it might, might diverge a little bit, but um, it is, it is strangely comforting to, to hear people talk about like, this is, this is how we do quests and this is why and this is how we do population mm-hmm. this is why it's like oh that's like the same stuff that we kind of talked about on EQ some of that stuff was you know codified or you know um, uh, standardized and, and some it just was you know like a thing a thing that you did because you had that um, that experience and that you know in, intuition from working in, in this space for a long time um, but yeah the, the tools are, are different they I, I probably can't talk about it but um, yeah that's that's going to be the hurdle I think this, the, probably the small hurdle is learning um, learning the tools. The big hurdle is learning all their games history. I mean, I've, I've got thousands of hours in, in wow, but there's still so much game and so much story and so many characters. Um, and so much like minutia about like, this is how, you know, this character would talk and this is mm-hmm. how like these characters dress. And this is the, you know, that, that, that needs to be kind of yeah, learned and, and memorized and internalized. So you, you don't, you know, invalidate lore that they've carefully, constructed over decades with right. these characters oh which sure. you know I, I do that stuff on on eq as well like if um if i'm going to be doing uh, an event or a raid or a quest with a familiar character someone's been in eq for a while there's a lot of research that goes into that right like you need to go back and kind of look at look at look at everything that's ever been written about this character or by this character everything they've ever said and make sure you honor honor that character and and, and they speak the same way and the, the motivations makes sense and, and you're not stomping on anything lore wise yeah or or if you do it you need really good reason for it you know right which over over the amount of time that you're there i could see that becoming more and more of a thing i remember we'd go digging through random drives of people that had left um we checked you know forums we we there was no real central repository for any of that stuff like on my time yeah. there and so it's kind of like a, the best info we could find. And often there wasn't a lot. And then also the best either conspiracy theory in, on the forums or the best sort of like concept that there, like anytime they're like, I bet it was meant to do this. Like, holy shit. That's great. Like, <laughs> it, of course we had a plan the whole time. Yeah. yeah no way. <laughs> Um, so that went into. We used to. Do, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was about to say there was a, the question came in from Lockers or EQ. Was there a lot of documentation produced about how the game was sewn together, and are these still being used? So it seemed like. Yeah, it was more later. Um, uh, Kevin Lighty likes to talk about how, like, when because he's he's been in the gaming industry for for decades. He worked at um, Midway, you know, back in the day, and he's like the the you know the plan was like you you made this game. You created the assets, you put it together, you shipped it, and then that stuff got you know lost or deleted, and you went on to the next thing. And I think that's that's kind of was the philosophy in early EQ. Either you know they didn't they, they weren't expecting to need to keep you know detailed documentation about everything forever because that, that's not how you made games back then. Um, you know, you 
you, you made it and you shipped it and then you moved on to EQ2. Like, like why would, why would you, you know, hold on to every, you know, scribbled on napkin or, you know, <laughs> uh, zone, zone design doc or asset, like what's the point? But then like later on in EQ development, we realized that was, that was super important and you, you needed to go back and look at, the history of an, of an asset and you needed to go back and be able to, to tweak a model or, you know, look, look at some quest that was in the game in, in 99 and see what, what had happened to it, why it changed, if it broke, how it broke, who broke mm-hmm. it and, and, and be able to undo that and fix it, you know? And it wasn't till like 2002, I think, um, that change logs went in. So you could, you could search those and see when, when a DB uh, field was changed and who changed it and when, um, and I think I said when twice, but, uh, yeah, like, and, uh, it, it, it was too bad that documentation wasn't, you know, more, more carefully uh, maintained in, in the first place. Yeah. And, uh, when, when it was, it was, it was an incredible resource being able to look, look back at stuff and, and, uh, understand where someone was coming from. And then there was just also the, um, just like working on the game for a long time. You, you know, you knew, like, I, I know what raids I made and when, and if, if it breaks, I, I probably know what, what it would have been that broke it, you know, for, if someone else implemented, I kind of understand their implementation style and, and, and know, know what to look for. And yeah. All, all that, uh, that, that tribal knowledge. Kamban, Kamban asked, why is the Mayong model light years ahead of any other model ever to appear in EverQuest? It has more polys than most zones. <laughs> uh, that was Ian Wall, I think. He did some really cool stuff. Um, <gasps> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he, he did some really good stuff, and I, I think he he uh, he used some some advanced techniques on that model as well to to make it work the way it does. Uh, he he was a, a really talented animator and artist. So um, when was oh I forgot. So to, he he ended up putting Mayong in his um his demo reel, right? Like he was you know up, updating his is LinkedIn or something. There probably wasn't even LinkedIn back then. This was what, 2007, 2006. So he like, you know, put Mayong in there and he's like, this is Mayong. I made it for this expansion, blah, blah, blah. But at that point, like players had not reached that point in the plot where they were supposed to uncover that it was Mayong. And they're like, Hey, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, I was wondering, yeah, I was wondering exact timing on that because I'm trying to think of whether or not, because we 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 talked pretty frequently back then. I can't remember if that was when I was already in Austin on DC, or if that's when some of the folks that were working on um, some of the planet side folks that were working on the mercenary game that we were trying to get spun up. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I thought had to help with some models for an expansion or something. So yeah, because I, I remember seeing that model, but I wasn't on the team at the time. Thought it looked pretty badass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what was uh, what was that like working on the um, the mercenary game? That was um, like early concept phases. You guys had some cool artwork and ideas behind it. It was kind of kind of like the agency, but not. It was so basically it was um, it was before mercenaries. I, I guess the mercenaries kind of come in waves, like anything else, popularity. And I, I think it was before the next big mercenary wave hit. So it was kind of a hard sell internally. And essentially we just took the planet side engine and created some new assets, tweaked some of the, you know, the parameters for like movement and FOV and like um, lethality of weapons and all that. And we were able to, the artists were 
Fantastic. I have like a stack of concept art in my storage unit in Austin still for that. And like uh, some cool. t-shirts. I had t-shirts made for the team that were like the guns for hire mercenary flaming town in the background kind of thing um, that Patrick actually did the graphics for. And so we, um, we were able to get like a, it was like a 40 on 40 play test up in like two weeks where you were running around in like camo cargoes with a hoodie and a backpack and an AK blasting, you know, other people and then flying around in like reavers and stuff. So it was just like, it it was such a fun project, like just to be able to prototype and get it going. But when we looked at the technical challenges of that engine, it was like, we're not going to be able to get this up in like the original desired 11 months. It was yeah. like 11, 12 months, you know, shipped this thing and it, was, it just wasn't going to happen. probably just had like a handful of guys too. The team, I think, I think the team, honestly, it could have pulled it off if we got through some of the tech challenges. But I also think that was just one of those projects where if the leadership's not all on the same page, it's hard to yeah. sort of finalize the sale and move it forward. Yeah. It's, it's almost better in some situations to have a smaller team because it's easier to get everybody on the same page and... Yeah you know, minimize that time you're spending trying to get everyone, you know, to be doing the same thing, heading in the same direction. Well, there wasn't a lot of need for like leadership overhead or documentation or whatever. You could just sort of get together for 10 minutes and go come up with cool shit. This is basically what we need. Next thing you know, FISA was making a bunch of cool vehicles, you know, uh, Raj or uh, Arash or, you know, whomever was like modeling and animating and like things just, it just sort of popped because you could walk by and they'd be like, hey, I just did a, did a dude wearing a hoodie and he's got these pants on. And I'd be like, oh, my God, that's badass. Perfect. You know, like there's no document needed for that. So, yeah. Um, so that leads into an interesting question just came in from Baiting. Um, do you think there's a future in crowdsource writing or lore for MMOs? EQ has been testing this in recent years. What type of obstacles prevent this from being a thing right now? Um, I'm not a lawyer, but I feel like every time we talk about like, uh, players doing work for the game, um, legal steps in and, and there's some sort of a conversation we have to have about labor laws. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know the details on that. I don't, I don't even want to like, <laughs> no, I, agree. I don't even want to like pretend, pretend to know or, or start to talk about it. But, uh, but apparently that is, that is a concern, uh, okay. for the, for those who are legal um, among us. Yeah. And I can see that. Um, Let's see. Another question that came in was um, from self-destruct button. What was the reaction of the EQ design team to EQ2 and the decision to have it run concurrently with you? Uh, that's a good question. I'm going to have to go back way back in the way back machine to see if I remember if we had many, any conversations about it. Um, it seemed like we were we were like impressed with, with what they were doing with their graphics engine at the time. Like they had crabs that looked like photorealistic, you know, like, and uh, and that was like light years ahead of what we were able to accomplish on EverQuest. Obviously, they had a, a pretty cool, you know, graphics engine. Um, I feel like, uh, I mean, I, I feel like everybody has their their opinion about what EQ should should look like or feel like, and probably everyone on EQ had you know opinions about how it, it did or didn't feel like everquest right anymore and probably i bet people on eq2 were having those same conversations you know like we're, we're going in this direction with this model or this zone or this ui element or whatever does it feel like eq yes no maybe why not um uh 
have been, I, I got to work on their team for a little bit and, uh, and they've got, they've got some cool tools. Their population tools are, are really nice. Um, they're, uh, they're, they're, I, yeah, I, I don't even know if I can talk about it. They're, the way, the way they store data is completely different than EQ and it's really foreign if you're moving from one to the other. Um, and it really, really changes how you, how you interact with the game's data and it's strange. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've hit on it a little bit. Um, <clears throat> we've had some people that have been on already talk a little bit on that front and then we yeah. sort of blab on those topics when whenever there aren't guests well so yeah so like on, on eq2 it really helps if you're good at regex and digging through directory structures yeah and if you're on eq it really helps if you know sql and you can query um complicated um networks of tables mm-hmm. so that, that gives you any indication <laughs> yeah and and having only glanced a bit at the stuff because that's that's where i went when we kind of got pulled off the team um three gates was like go to eq2 and then i i just i looked at tools and the data like i just it to me it just felt like i was going to basically go all the way back around to being a beginner again yeah on a game you know that I was like, I've already worked on this before, right? And I, I like the one that I was working on. I don't necessarily want to be a newbie making EQ again. Um, what else yeah. can I do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the, the kind of the Free Realms experience. Um, you know, there, there was a point where Free Realms kind of needed to get out the door, but they needed time or they needed people. And so they make, they got people. They got like just about everybody at the company was just kind of pulled in to work on that game. Um, but at the at the point where it was in its development, they didn't want like people to come in and lead the charge. They wanted people to just get shit done. And so you had all these these experienced designers come in, and they're like, "We want you to make a simple quest." And you're like, "But I'm an expert on, you know, raid design and blah 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 blah." They're like, "I don't care. You're gonna you're gonna write a little blurb that's ten words, and you're gonna make a stupid quest." <laughs> so there were there were inevitably you know these these power conflicts on that team when. Yeah. You know, you, you, you pull in all the experienced people together. You're also pulling in a lot of opinions, <laughs> right? And yeah, and, and, and right or wrong, people who are experienced have, have opinions about how something's going to work. And they're not, they're not just going to sit there and, and implement something if they don't believe like it's a good idea. They're going to, they're going to raise a, raise a red flag. Yeah. It's just, it's also more challenging, right? I think once you've put in the time, um, there, there has to be like a really good reason for that individual to sort of step back a bit and go, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you on this. I, I don't believe in it. Or I, Hey, you know, this tool needs to be changed or, um, you know, I don't like this lore or whatever. There's gotta be a, a damn good reason. Um, so we'll eventually get to this, this point, but like, if I had to guess when you move from, 20 years of experience at Sony and EQ into Blizzard and WoW. And again, like you said, you're having to learn the tools again. You're, have, you're, you're learning the lore and the details there. I picture, you know, the opportunity to go work at Blizzard on WoW. That's a good reason. Um, but given that, because uh, I'm trying to remember the order of announcements, but like Holly left, Holly left right before you, right? announcement wise um, or yeah 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 um I, I don't remember the exact timeline but yeah she 
she left not not long before um i put in my notice i i um i actually i waited a week and then put in three weeks so i i had been um i had been offered the job long long before i left okay i think uh it, it would, would have been like six weeks so i I got the offer about a week later. I put in three weeks notice and then I had a two week break before I started working. Yeah. And, on, uh, oh, wow. And can I ask, and some of the stuff, like, I'm just going to ask it. Um, and if you're like, eh, you know, you can, you can next question or tap out or whatever. Uh, I don't think I'm going to ask anything yeah. too bullshit. Uh, but it's like, did you know about Holly leaving? And was that part of like a consideration or were they going, did it sort of coincide or? Uh, I, I didn't know she was leaving and, uh, my, my application was already well, well underway before I found out she was leaving. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And it's one of those things for me, it, because I, I, I know a number of people from Sony that are at, you know, Blizzard or have been at Blizzard for quite a while, even and it's like, to me, it's a natural progression. Um, you know, I, I think for a lot of folks, you just, um, it was mentioned earlier. I don't know. I don't think it wound up as one of the questions on the list, but like, um, there was a comment earlier and I'm sorry, I missed it. Feel free to repeat it. Um, uh, there's a comment earlier. It was just like, I think it was noticeable when you left because everything I've heard since I've been back and sort of, you know, engaging with the community is how much you interacted with the community and like how much you answered people's questions. You're just a very visible person. And, and, you know, I think the community's really shown a lot of like, uh, appreciation for that, at least to me, since, since I've been, um, been back 18 yeah, I, years. I think, yeah. Like, and like then the you, you go and then we, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's such a weird time to leave too. Cause it's, it's the apocalypse and this, this COVID and there wasn't any sort of like, you know, usually like I would take somebody out to lunch we would have a, a big goodbye if they left, but this was sort of bittersweet. It's like I'm leaving and you know, I'm on a zoom call. Bye. Mm. <laughs> you know, I don't get to get to give anybody a hug on the way out the door or, you know, or share a beer together. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a great point. Like I'm in Sweden, so it's so easy to forget how much of oh, that's right. It's, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's not, not having a great time. Um, well, uh, oh yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it took me, it took me a while to get out of the habit of checking the forums. Cause I, I would, I would check the forums pretty much all, all day off and on whenever I could, including like right before I went to bed, I would pop on and, and see if I'd gotten any PM, see if there was anything that was happening. Um, and it, it was really good to keep, keep abreast of that, to find out if there, if there were any issues, if there's anything we need to look into, um, really, really, you know, catching, catching and fixing bugs as quickly as we could. Um, yeah, and then and that and that player feedback. Thank you, by the way. It was integral to keeping the game running and making sure it was fun. Yeah, and and, um, and to clarify my last statement, aware of the impact that it had, but it's the small things like oh shit, because the same thing happened in, um, with me leaving my company this year as well, and and because most companies just did voluntary work from home, even if it wasn't mandated. Like it was the weirdest offboarding. Like there's no like goodbye lunch there is no real like yeah. yeah let's all go out for a beer or whatever it's just kind of like i i had to send an email at some point and be like hey guys um are you gonna turn off my access to everything at some point <laughs> just a reminder i'm, I'm not yeah. there anymore <laughs> um, so do you think that was kind of because you know people ask or like why wasn't there more fanfare and you know this long glorious message about 
what's going on and what we should expect and how our lot, how tell us how we'll be able to move on from this, you know, departure, that kind of thing. Was it just yeah. the COVID or? Um, I think, I think the company's relationship, um, between like the developers and the players is, is different than the players relationship with, between the developers and the players. You know, like I, I, I would have, have loved to have some sort of, at least a, you know, a goodbye uh, post or something just you know, say how, how happy I was to work on the team and how, how, you know, influential a request has been in, in my life before and after I worked on it and how, uh, how much I really liked working with the community. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess like our, our new community guy, I say, I say new, I think he's been there for a year or two now, um, was like, he, he looked back and almost, almost no people that leave, um, un, unless they're like a C-level employee, get any, any kind of fanfare when they leave. It's, it's just not a thing that the company does. Uh, and I, I don't know what the, what the policy is at other companies as well. I, I don't know that they do that. I don't know if they want to like, you know, highlight somebody leaving because it, it could be spun. It prob- probably will be spun as, as bad for their company and bad for the game if somebody's taken off. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it's because it's not, that's not just, I mean, I've seen that in a lot of places. And it's just kind of a weird old school mentality. Uh, that, that's my opinion. You don't have to agree with that, Jonathan, or not, or anything. But know. like when yeah. I when I think about it, it's like communication and and like it's weird because the same companies that will not like sort of you know just be direct with that sort of information and be like, hey, this is what's going on. This is what it's mean, what it means, and blah blah blah. And like let's celebrate close to twenty years of like you being a part of the community and kicking ass and, and, you know, making great shit and blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not saying this specifically to, uh, to, I always want to say Sony. Um, you're right. <laughs> Dark Fall or anything like that. Um, Daybreak. Um, but I say companies in general for as much time as companies like been trying to figure out how to be authentic and hire like, you know, marketing tricksters or whatever to make them seem authentic. Just, just be authentic. Do shit like, celebrate the people that work, you know, on your product when they leave and be open about it and be like, you know, even if it's like, you know, well, we saw a giant suitcase full of money in Jonathan's mm-hmm. hand. And so it was just like, of course, good for him. High five him <laughs> on the way out. A little, you know, pat on the butt. Money, money trailing behind. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah, I think when people talk about like whether or not a company cares, they're, they're talking about yeah, open communication, open, open and honest communication, uh, and yeah, and and honestly, that that was kind of the, the fun part of the game, especially during beta, was just talking to the players and um, work, working with them and communicating about what was what was going well and what wasn't and how we could fix it and and carrying that that over. Like once once the expansion launched too, like it wasn't done, like we still had to go back and make changes. Mm-hmm. That, and the iteration iteration is everything that iteration was really important to keeping the the content functional and fun yeah so there was a question came in i don't, I don't know if you'll be able to answer so yinla yinla asked is there anything you were working on for the next expansion that someone else is taking over that we can watch out um I think the last thing I really worked on before I left was I did the uh, the next Heritage Crate. Um, 
and I'm not, you know, I haven't, I haven't really been following that. It may already be live at this point. I don't know. I think it was the, the dwarf heritage crate. Um, and, um, what I was working on at the very end was just documenting my, my processes and, um, and anything that, that, that only I did and only, yeah. only I really had like the, the knowledge from start from front to back on how to get something done. Try to document all that stuff, uh, give people my spreadsheets, my SQL queries and whatever, and hand it to them and be like, this is how I did it. Um, so, uh, there were some raids that I wanted to work on and they were on my list of things to do, but they, I didn't, uh, I didn't even start on them. And on, you know, quite honestly, when, when we've had designers like get partway through a raid and leave, it's always bad. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's really better if one person is, is in charge of that from, from <clears throat> beginning to end. It's, it's not good uh, to have, have somebody pick it up halfway through. Um, it's, it's never good. So, so I think that's okay. It was, you know, it was, it was kind of, kind of a clean break as far as like working on content stuff was done. I wasn't, I wasn't like halfway through anything. The mention of SQL or, SQL there again um, leads me to a question that's been sitting here. Broken asked, um, "I'm surprised EQ data resides in SQL. I know they moved uh, moved to it over the years, but wasn't it the original implementation all flat file? <clears throat> I thought the it exported to a flat file, but like the work we did was in a DB. Yeah, um, SQL." Yeah, the game data is all in a database, um, in, including the scripting uh, stuff. It's all it's in, the, in, the, in the scripts table, and the name and ID and the, the scripts data itself and the, all the modified stuff. Um, the data in the game is a flat file. So, so once you've got all your, your population data and you export that, and that creates text files that live on the server and then tell, you know, tell the zone how to behave, what to spawn, when and where, and what it, what it does when it pops up and stuff. Um, and then character files um, used to be flat files, but now they're now they're also in a DB as of semi recently. Yeah. But it's been great. Like um, Niente can probably comment on this, but it's allowed us to like you know run run SQL against you know the players to remove remove bad data if somebody has a, a broken quest or um, is, is in some sort of a bad state. We can we can fix that fairly easily. Whereas before that was a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going back to an earlier question, Heebs had asked, what was your most passion-driven project during your Hoyt? Uh, I'm going to try to be passionate about everything. Um, I was particularly stoked to work on the Rogue Epic because I, I played a Rogue on live um, and, and getting my Rogue uh, Epic 1.0 was a, was a huge deal. And I was on, on cloud nine for like weeks after I got that. I made, I made like a, a flash video, I think of, of me getting it and, <laughs> you know, shared it with my guild back when we did that sort of stuff. Um, so I got to, when we ended up doing omens and working on Epic 1.5s and 2.0s, um, I was, I was able to do the rogue Epic and I really tried to tie that in um, as best I could with, with the game's lore and with the original quest and, and keep that going. Um, and it was it was really an honor to be able to work on that. So on that note, do you or did you secretly play EQ on a regular account? Um, Bobby Bick says, I think it was Jay Chan that said she raids anonymous. Oh, that's cool. 
Um, I mostly would play on progression servers in a sort of casual way, especially when a progression server would first come out. I would spend a lot of time running around the server uh, doing stuff. It 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 gets hard to like like separate the developer side from the player side though. Like when you're playing it, you know, you see somebody cheating. It's like, all right, alt tab, send an email to CS. This guy's being a douchebag, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, you're running around doing something and something drops. It shouldn't be there. Like, all right, alt tab out, make a note on Monday, look into problem with this thing, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's different, right? Like when, when you're, when you're playing your own game, you you have, it's, it's hard to not look at it with a critical eye and constantly be um, playing, playing it as a developer. Did you, but did you get a chance to do any of your own raids? Um, I don't think so. I think by the time like I was working on raids, there wasn't enough like time in my my after after work yeah. life, or <laughs> you know, like and every, yeah, no, everybody no. does that too. Like when I first joined the team, I was I was playing a ton and working on the game. But at, at, at some point, you realize after after you know being there for 40, 60, 80 hours, like you can't. Yeah. can't look at it when you go home <laughs> yeah. and and you, and you think you will and, until you know you're a couple years in you're like dude when i go home i don't want to look at a screen i just want to go for a walk i just want to go splash around in the pool yeah i want to make dinner i want to see my wife you know like you need you need you need time away from eq when you're not working on it yeah i agree um the um thank uh thank us eq Asked, do you remember any of the design process but behind making the uh, Muratus raid? Did you follow guild progression on it at all? Expect it to be as difficult as it was? I'm pretty sure I butchered the name. No, yeah, no, no, no. yeah no, I get it. Um, I think we called it Muratus. Muratus? Stone domain. It's the, the unpronounceable zone. Um, yeah, I, I was. Um, I wanted it to be hard. I, I always want my raids to be challenging, but since it was the end raid expansion i wanted it to be really hard um, and I, I try to err on the side of too hard and with that with that particular raid i erred on the side of like way too hard <laughs> so i think i think fairly early on um after launch um once once people were really digging into it i um i was ready to put it push in a wave of changes that were going to make it substantially easier but um we got feedback from the players that that some guilds were close and they didn't want it changed and they wanted the the, the cachet of beating it before um, this, these changes went in, so I, so I backed those changes out, um, and people were close, and they were were able to beat it um, in its in its super hard state. But after that, like um, I would I would periodically put in you know a wave of, of changes that would make some mechanics more forgiving um, and easier. Like there was a point where you had to like everybody got a different colored buff, and you had to scatter mm-hmm. into the, the the wing of the zone that matched the color of your buff, or else you would die. But while you were doing that, you were having to dodge a bunch of hazards in the room. And you know you didn't have a whole lot of time to get there, so you couldn't like super carefully like you know wind your way around these hazards, and so people would die uh, trying to trying to get to safety. So I, I think I put in a, a protection so you you could get hit by those a couple of times before they would actually hurt you. And, and I, I think that was a good change. Um, the, the, the mechanics still work and they're still difficult, but it, it didn't wasn't super punishing. Right, that makes sense. And I didn't realize this. So were you the spell developer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for a while, uh, ooh, that's a good question. I'm gonna have to. I can. Do the expansion searches. Yeah. And while you're looking that up, um, this was Yinla's question. What What were your highs and lows of being the spell developer? 
Uh, see, so I, I want to say it was like serpent spine to seeds, but I'm, I may be way off on that. So somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, the, you know, uh, I'll do the, I'll do the lows first. So like we didn't, we didn't have a whole lot of people on the team and I was while working on spells, I was still kind of the senior of a designer. And so I was doing a bunch of, uh, the expansion raid content, um, as well as doing all the player spells and abilities, which is, which is by itself a full-time job. Um, and there's this, there is a assumption or an expectation that if you're working on a game system like spells, you're also in charge of balancing the game. And that, that is also a full-time job. <laughs> so yeah, it was separate. You know, I, fe- I felt like doing, it felt like doing the job of, of, of two and a half people. It was, it was really more than, than one person could, could realistically get done and, and done well. So I, I just, I, I feel like, you know, some of that stuff should have been farmed out better or I should have been better about being like, this is crazy. You know, I'm about to have my, my second, you know, nervous breakdown of the year. <laughs> um, uh, as far as the good stuff, it was, it was really cool and creative. Like there was a lot of, uh, um, freedom to do, to do stuff that I thought would be flavorful and fun for different classes. Um, I probably, you know, I feel like when, when you're coming up with an idea for a new spell, like less than 50% of the time, is it a spell that you actually should make? <laughs> you know, it's again, like you're just, you're just trying things, you know, um, you, you know, we're, we're tinkering with new SPAs, uh, go, you know, going with new ideas and seeing how well they work. A lot of that stuff probably should have just not happened at all and been cut because it was, it was going to, going to be questionable. But, um, but I, I, I'm happy with some of the stuff that, that, that I did that ended up becoming, you know, um, classifying abilities from, from then on. It's funny, as you're saying that, I realized we had another question up, and I also realized that um, I might have fixed the thing that makes the questions pop up on the screen. I just clicked it, and it worked amazing. Oh, nice. Um, the question is, how successful do you think uh, studio efforts at Class Balance have been over your tenure? Uh, do you think the modern, symmetrical free is easier to manage than early days? Um, I think it's gotten harder and harder the more abilities that players have uh, and the more like spell effects and item effects and clicks and procs and, and passive effects and AA effects they've got, the harder it is to tune. There's, there's just more stuff there than one person can realistically keep an eye on. And, and, and the game is a bullet train going 200 miles an hour and you, and you can't stop really to, um, to evaluate the class balance and, and, um, and, and it's a moving target. Every, every time we introduced, you know, a new, a new ability, the class balance changed. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an, an incredibly difficult task. You know, one or two people probably should have been devoted to doing just that. And it, it wasn't a thing that we could devote time to. Right. Yeah, it's. Uh, do you think that's it, is it inevitable? The the sort of complexity um, is it just inevitable when you when you have a game that sits around for twenty years? Or do you think if you could go back to sort of the first couple years of EverQuest um, and say, "All right, we know I had a vision of the future. Um, it, this game's going to be around for at least twenty years. I know this. I pictured myself." 18 years from now, like, um, 
still working on it, about to leave. But um, do you think it could be developed in a way where it would retain players for 20 years and not grow as complex? Yeah, it, it seems like it's happened with all the major MMOs. There is this complexity creep, and I think I think some games have been better about battling that than others. I think some some games recognize, okay, this system is, you know, a time sink. Um, it's not really that interesting. It's not super maintainable. Maybe we should just retire it. <laughs> you know, right. this this isn't this isn't really like adding anything fun or fun or fresh to the game. It's just something that's a constant like bookkeeping nightmare, um, and it's confusing for us, and it's confusing for the players, and it's diluting like. Uh, how how we give power to the players. Let's just get rid of it. Um, uh, I think EverQuest probably sh- should should have um, devoted more time to battling that complexity creep and, and and not either either not put in so many buttons or or found ways to combine more more ways to combine buttons so there weren't weren't so many things to click on. It's just it's too easy and too splashy and too too fun. I think um, when you're when you're working on you know um, a game system. To, to give out another button and, and not, not, it's not only EQ and EQ2 that, that, that do this, but you know, other, other MMOs as well. Yeah. At, at some point over, over years, over decades, you end up getting with an, un, an unmanageable um, number of things to press. Yeah. But the alternative is the, the stagnation. Yeah, I mean, is there is there is yeah, there... maybe yeah, maybe it's better to like like rotate in a cool new system and let people enjoy that for I don't know a year a year or five and then rotate it out and then put something in a different thing in to take its place from that era on yeah because yeah it it ends up being like the UI bloat alone just ends up being bananas right like yeah and like how many how many windows do I need to look in in order to like play my character effectively and yeah see what I can do. The, the the fact that you you have been on the team up until so recently, I think there are a number of questions that have been coming up, and I see a few of them in the list that are related to like TLPs and um, I guess let, let me just I'll, I'll go through a couple of them and, and you'll kind of see the theme. Lakeeb's asked on the topic of TLPs. Did you feel the VP group named items should have been removed um, for Rage Fire and Lockjaw? Um, is that saying that there's items in VP that are named after developers that should have been changed? Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I guess I don't understand quite what the question is asking. I think it's for for the keys. Hmm? Oh, was he, is he talking about the keys? I'm, um, I'm guessing keys. Keeps, I'll keep an eye on chat to see if that's Okay. there's another yeah. question. Yeah, if he's talking about the keys. So I, I guess, I mean, I wasn't oh, there for, oh. I was I was playing EQ, you know, in, in, incredibly heavily when, when those keys were a thing. And I spent all night, you know, um, at the Rotting Skeleton in Dreadlands trying to get that key piece. I, I must, I, I don't remember exactly how long it was, but it must have been over 20 hours in that one spot trying to get that one, that one piece of nine <laughs> for my VP key. Uh, to the point where, like, I had I had a timer set up um, so that I would like you know nod my, nod my head down and go to sleep, and it would go off, and I would like wake up and be like, "Oh, it's time to kill the rotting skeleton again." Uh, I didn't have it. Set the alarm. Go back to sleep. Yeah. Um, and 
I, I guess that's that stuff made sense back in the day when these zones to be exclusive. You wanted, you know, there to be like a, a pretty heavy time investment into to getting the keys that you needed to get there. And it was something that like not everybody was doing, right? Like most people were like most people are still leveling, still gearing up. Not not everybody is butting their head against this key quest at the at the same time, right? In a way that that creates this player collision and friction. Um, but on progression servers, it was a thing. Uh, we changed the quest a whole bunch of times uh, to try to make it easier. We made the stuff spawn more frequently. Uh, we tried to scatter out the ground spawns in a way where, like, it wasn't a bunch of people sitting in one spot, all you know, spam clicking on that spot to try to get the item. Um, we made the the drops on the NPCs drop drop more frequently, and and or had them spawn more frequently. I think Alan did that, but it's it's still rough, and and we have to. You know, the EverQuest team constantly has to ask that question on progression servers like, you know, is is it classic? Is it reminiscent of the way the, the game originally performed? Is it nostalgic? Um, is it fair? Is it fun? You know, what's and what's the most important part of that? And, and you know, where, sh- where should you go in that triangle? How classic right. should it be? How fair should it be? How fun should it be? Yeah. And, and it seems like a one that needs active balancing, given the fact that, you know, it's it's not strict on any one of those those like points especially like the classic one like yeah. i've been playing and you know with the with the rate of experience gain and other things that sort of push people into the high end it, it, um yeah it looks like there are certain things that that have to be tuned as part of that keeps clarifying said no there were items that dropped in bp that were removed from named so that 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 was the actual question um, um, I don't know. That's that question should probably be sent to the current step team. Yeah. Um, they they could probably look into it. And uh, it, it sounds like it's what this is one of those things where like there was additional content that was added after the fact, and so you know on on live originally the, the zone was in one state, but then it was changed, and then for progression servers, there's some sort of logic in there that determines you know what what drops and when and how and um, yeah. Hmm. And it, it, it's going to be one of those, like, is it, is it classic? Is it fair? Is it fun? You know, conversations and, uh, yeah. And then, um, Tennessee feet monk asked two questions about Luckland's Vexal compared to other early expansions. Vexal mobs have such obscenely high hit points. AC. Why? That's, um, and then also, Vexal, sure. yeah, uh, <laughs> I think, um, and then there's also a Vexal revamp in 2002 removed about 18 raid drops, but didn't replace them with fixed better items. Why? I would I would refer you back to previous VODs. Check out, I think, um, Bill Fisher's and Rich Waters. It'll, it'll get you started on that topic, I believe. Um, and then we'll, we'll get you some other answers at some other point. But that was, that was a bit before before your time, and... Back when I wasn't, yeah, I was just an apprentice trying to figure shit out myself. So, yeah, oh. yeah, there was there was all kinds of crazy stuff happening in pop era that I was like aware of because it was happening around me, but I wasn't actually involved <laughs> in those conversations. <laughs> yeah, that was you know, was that, yeah, <laughs> you know, I had my head down doing apprentice or associate design work, and other people were like, "Oh my god," you know, planet planet time. Since we're 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 just talking TLP. Um, Happy Feet asked, do you feel like all the botting and automation runs EQ for the rest of us that want to just play the game? I'm still baffled that they do nothing when people are MQing 40 boxes. Do you have thoughts on bots? 
Uh, yeah. Um, I feel semi-comfortable speaking for all of design and that nobody in design likes the fact that there's automated play um, and feels like people shouldn't do that. But um, it's, it's not design's um, purview to fix that. Mm. It's going to be on, on community and potentially on code. It's, it's you know, d- design can't solve that problem. Is, can you speak to whether or not there, there's an actual desire to fix it or... Is it is it just sort of like, hey, it's not a priority in their critical resources there, or is it more of a these people they play a role in the community or in the customer base? Um, um it's I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak generally and not about yeah. any particular game. Um as I've, I've read, you know, articles and stuff about this elsewhere. It's it's an arms race uh to prevent players from cheating in your game and it's an arms race that you will almost always lose as a developer because the players have more resources and more time and more people and it's something that almost all developers want to fix but we're fighting a losing battle and and, then again i'm not i'm not speaking about any particular game i'm just saying in in general um as as a game developer in the games industry that's that's how that works And, and, and unless you can you can devote a whole lot of time and money to it it's it's a difficult problem to solve yeah, I've, I've run into it on the past product. And the thing that we were realizing was also the money that was being generated on the oppose for the opposing side in the arms race. I think they actually could have allocated more resources to their fight than we could to ours on this particular yeah. product. And that was just, that was it. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. So, um, did you make promise renewal? Do you remember anything about trying to fix clerics need to complete heal all the time? As uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's a that's a really good example of like a spell that I conjured up, and I was using new new tools that we had at the time, and thought it would be fun. Um, it's a way to give players a, a big heal, um, not a complete heal. When complete heal has been a misnomer since. <laughs> people got more hit points than complete heal could heal. Yeah. It, was, it was for a way, a way for players to pre-heal an ally. Um, and, and then after, after a delay, the spell would fire and heal them up. And I, and I, I thought it was a really cool idea for clerics. Um, I feel like it was one, one of the few be- better ideas I had while I was developing spells. Um, it actually ended up being a lot more difficult to implement than I thought it would because of focus effects. Like, you know, the spell runs for, I think it's like one or two ticks and then it fires. But if you have extended you know, duration, then that extends the time it takes before this thing um, will go off, which is not what you want. So then you have to start putting like focus effect restrictions and in, in, in various places to prevent mm. that from happening. And there was, there was a lot of like spell trickery that we had to, had to put in uh, to make sure that that worked as intended and having focus effects didn't, didn't make it worse. Right. Um, it's funny because as you're saying that, I was just thinking back to the complexity question. Right? Like, it, it's it's interesting once you've have when when you have like ten fifteen years of complexity built up, and then you add a thing. There's this. There's always that chance of like some weird Rube Goldberg kind of like the yeah. spell kicks the you know ball that tips over a candle and 
Um, yeah, and we, we always had to worry about um, hot spots for experience. At, at some point, like it, it, it almost always was easier to go back and farm a bunch of really, really low, low risk, super easy to kill stuff uh, than it was to tackle modern content. Just um, the, the lack of risk was was better than um, even if it was better experience killing higher level stuff. You know, not not having any any chance of dying made it better. Yeah, to to slum it in old zones. So we got caught up asking asking some of these questions. I, I kind of want to get back, you know, if, if we've got time. I, I, I want to hop back into your your actual progression on EQ for for a few minutes and just kind of. So you were you were the spell guy. Mm-hmm. Like, what other roles did you fill over that eighteen years? Um, I think the the most impactful things that I did over, over the years were like being, being the spell sky for a couple of years, which was like a relatively small period of time, given, given the amount of time I was there, it was probably two or three years of, of the 18 um, being the, the raid guy and, uh, and creating a lot of the, the raid content for expansion. Some, sometimes I did every raid in the expansion and sometimes I just did, you know, a couple zones depending on uh, the schedule and, and the team and our needs at the time. Um, and I think working on progression servers, um, and there's, there's, there's a lot of different facets of like working on, on progression servers. We've got guys who like set up the progression itself to ensure that like after certain periods of time or when certain criteria have occurred or when, you know, when, when, it, um, when an event runs, then everything switches over properly and the next expansion activates. But there's, there's a lot of work that goes into making sure that the stuff in the expansion is, is there when it needs to be there and, mm-hmm. and you know. Um, stuff doesn't turn on too early or too late based off of our fuzzy criteria of what's what's an error and what's appropriate. And and I I did a lot of work on that and that was uh, that was a lot of fun. It, it it is it is really fun to go back and kind of like tinker with old content, see how it works, reminisce about you know what what it was like to experience that content back in the day. And um, yeah, Frank reminded me that we left off at Omens um, you know earlier, but it's it's interesting for me to try to piece together like the evolution of the team during during those years like having ryan on different people on and and yeah you know naturally a team gets smaller over time um which probably means going back to wearing more hats um still did you feel like did you feel like there was still that same expectation of scale of content that you released or like pace or did, did anything change over, over time? I mean, naturally the community gets smaller, right? Like, um, did that change the dynamic behind the scenes? Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, just, just as, a, as a heads up, my wife has given me the, um, the, I need to help pack stuff. To, uh, yeah. To I was wondering if that was the case. I saw you look <laughs> up a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize it. It had been two hours already. It goes so fast. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, we'll have to, uh, but I, I'm, I'm happy to come back if we want to do, that would be amazing. do another, sure. yeah. yeah. Uh, do the next nine years. Um, the, I think the rate content has gotten more complex over time. If, if that, if that answers the question where, um, you could, we could kind of get away with relatively simple mechanics, uh, back in the day, but as, as, as players have gotten more tools in their toolbox and they, and they become more accustomed to doing more complex stuff, you kind of have to, to raise the bar on newer raids to give, give them more mechanics or more, uh, more 
mechanics happening at the same time that they have to deal with to make it to make it fun and interesting. Uh, yeah. So that that's that's been one thing that's kind of changed over time. And I tell you what, um, what we'll do because it's funny you made the offer. We can cover the next nine years um, next time you come on. Um, I I know you need to go. I can I can sit yeah. So um, and I appreciate you taking two hours with us tonight. Um, I'm gonna I'll follow up with you. Um, we'll sort of talk about your experience here today. Kind of see how you how you like it. If you already know, like hey. I'd love to come back and cool. We can already get everybody hyped because I know they're going to want to see you. Um, then we can, we can time it just based off your move and things like that. Once you get settled in, maybe. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. Yeah. It was, it was really good seeing you. Um, I, I enjoyed the times we worked together back in the day. Yeah. Like <laughs> the smile, like the, 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 the positivity was, it's one of those things that <laughs> I've never forgotten. So it's kind of cool to like, oh, get to actually see you, you know, and talk sort of face-to-face air quotes um yeah it's same dude um and and yeah i'd love to catch up some more i'll, I'll try to think of try to think of some some additional questions that can maybe help me hone in a, a bit more on like because I, I, I really want to try to piece together and get a feel for like the evolution of the team culture the evolution of sort of the dynamic that feeling about like working on an mmo when it's in that second decade of its sort of lifespan. There's a lot yeah. there that we've never seen it before. Really. There's only a few MMOs that have done this. So I'd love to learn about that. So yeah, next time. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Cool, dude. Um, I really, really appreciate it again. Um, thanks. I'm sure. Yeah. Pat is appreciative as well. And, uh, thanks, guys. cool. We'll, we'll talk about when we can get you back. Okay. Awesome. Have a good night and uh, good luck on the move. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Likewise. See you, Jonathan. (laughs) All right. See you.